0: We shelter things we value. If you make a lot of money, you look for a tax shelter. If you have an expensive car, you wanna shelter it with a garage or at least a cover. The only time the word shelter is used in a negative sense is when we shelter our children.
1: Welcome to the Edify Podcast, where our guests share practical wisdom on living our faith in public. I'm Mary Fiorito. Thank you for joining us today. Brian Echevarria is a husband and father from North Carolina who saw the radical ideologies being pushed in public schools and decided to speak up at his local school board meeting and ultimately to run for state office. Brian, thank you so much for being here with us on the Edify podcast. It's a pleasure to meet you in person.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Let's jump right in. Um, CRT doesn't just tell a different side of history, but it twists history. And you speak about this a little bit in the video you did for us. Can you give us some examples of that?
0: I think the, the twisting of history is CRT likes to disguise itself like it's black history. Except if you, if you just dig just slightly below the surface, you find out that it actually comes from Karl Marx, from conflict theory. Right. So it perpetuates the idea that my children, in this case,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that because they're black, or as I like to say, they're pecan colored, mm-hmm. right? that somehow they don't have an opportunity here in America, and they're they they they're going to be oppressed. And I just don't believe that. That hasn't been my experience, and, and it's definitely not what I expect from my children.
1: Well, what do you say then to people who are so critical of someone, for example, like like Senator Tim Scott or like Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court, who was born literally in a house with no running water, yet is now a Supreme Court justice of yes. the United States, um, but people will sometimes say, well, they're not, you know, they're not real people of color Mm -hmm. um, because they don't have the same kind of viewpoints on CRT that that they do. Can uh, unpack that for me? Because I find that so puzzling because here are incredibly successful men, both of them doing so well, really doing it, you know, through a lot of their own hard work and initiative, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And they also had people who believed in them. Um, But why is it that they're rejected by some in, in communities of color?
0: I think, well, number one, what I would say to them is free your mind. Mm -hmm. We have an entire history in our country, one that came from slavery and oppression all the way to someone being on the Supreme Court, being the senator of South Carolina, Mm -hmm. right? So number one, free your mind. We've progressed. It's not the way it used to be. But also, I think we have to, at least in my community, we have to escape groupthink. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes a special individual to say, I disagree with everybody when you're in a room, right? So, with the groupthink, you have the idea where typically in the black community uh, we're Democrats. So the groupthink in that is the Democrats are going to help the black people because the black people are so oppressed and they're doing so bad. Mm-hmm. And I think you know when I sit in a room full of black professionals, I'm like, wow, you're literally ignoring your life and accomplishments mm. to take your political position.
1: Right.
0: So I just say, free your mind. Yes.
1: And, and then there, I think, are assumptions made as well, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that they've had it easy or somebody opened doors for them. You know, yes. I remember watching that documentary on Clarence Thomas and him talking about interviewing for one of his first jobs at a law firm. And the, the partner who was interviewing him, you know, they were introducing themselves and literally turned to Clarence Thomas and said, well, we all know why you're here. And yes. he said he got so angry. But that anger really motivated him to say, I'm going to show you, I'm smarter than you, I write better mm-hmm. than you, I'm a mm-hmm. harder worker than you are.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that seems to have been lost in some of these conversations too, which yes. I, I, I just find you know, puzzling because this is a country where if you work hard, mm-hmm. generally you can succeed.
0: You, you, you can, and, yeah. and listen, affirmative action,
1: mm-hmm.
0: at one time it was needed. Okay, you know, you're coming out of uh, the civil rights movement, you're getting rid of segregation, equal opportunity is the law of the land, but not necessarily the disposition of the heart. So you had to have affirmative action. However, I want to say that anyone who accomplishes anything, gets any job or position, gets that job or position because someone favored them. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: However, we 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 act like when it's a black person that the favor is only because they're black. Mm -hmm. No, affirmative action was because they're black. Favor comes from God. Right, And that's a whole
1: lot different. Right, exactly. Well, one example that you use in your work and in the talks that you give is that it's not necessarily the curriculum in mm-hmm. CRT that's the problem, but it's the method of teaching that curriculum. Yes. So you say, for example, it's not one plus one equals two, it's one mommy plus one mommy equals two mommies. Yes. So how are parents to, I mean, really get to understand what their children are being taught in many of the public schools today? And what can they do? What can the average mom or dad, you know, who have a jo- who has a job and other children, et cetera, et cetera, how should they respond when their children come home and tell wow. them? Wow.
0: That's, that's, a, that's a great question. That's tough. It's heartbreaking that we even have to ask it. Yeah. But I think the first thing they have to do is remember that the child belongs to them.
1: Right.
0: You know, my children are mine. If you don't believe me, let them break the window next door with a baseball. <laughs> and you'll find out real fast who everyone thinks is responsible for the child, right? The community is not going to... <laughs> Uh, get together to fix the window for my child.
1: Right.
0: I think that's the first thing. You remember the child is yours. Number two, you invest the time to speak with your child. I mean, I am viciously at the gates of my children's heart, mm-hmm. ex- having every conversation, explaining everything, because in the world there's people who believe that one mommy plus two mommies.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Right.
0: So I explain to my children how wrong that is, why it's wrong. Right. And I explain that at whatever level they are. So when my kid was seven, the conversation was different than today. Mm-hmm. You know, my my oldest son, you know, he, he participates in sports and things like that. And he came home and we were we were talking about something with uh, love and him in a mocking way, he says, we, it, was, it was something with the, I, th- I can't remember exactly, but it was like uh, something with LGBT because it was Pride Month, right? right? And he says, love is love and God is love, mm-hmm. right? And he was, and he starts cracking up because he knows what they're doing. And I said, you know, so I can I circled back around the next day, not to make an alarm out of it. And I, and I say to him, I said, you know, you, you said love is love, right? I said, you know how ridiculous that is, mm-hmm. right? And, and that God is love and then using that to justify. I said, what if someone loves murdering? What if someone, what if someone loves uh, rape? So if God is love and they love murdering and they love rape, would that make it OK?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. I said, so it's a crazy thing. And we talked about what love is. And so I, I, I slowly deal with my children. I try not to cause alarm on every issue. But I come back and say, hey, man, think about this. Yeah. And I think all parents have to do that. Obviously, yeah, yeah. that's how I do it with my children. But you have to figure that out with your own.
1: So you say that we shouldn't even have the term parental rights. Is that what you mean when you, when you say that? It's
0: ridiculous. Yeah. Like we literally now have a term that says the parents have a right to the children as though it hasn't always been that way. Mm-hmm. It's been that way from the very beginning. Right. The parents are responsible for the children. We've gone so far that now we have to sort of craft laws to affirm that. And everyone on earth knows that that is the case already.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Well, I think that's a good analogy that you make. If your child breaks, you know, the property of the person next door, you know, it's not going to be the community, right? Coming to repair, generally speaking. So, um, well, you and your wife made the decision to homeschool your children. You
0: know, being a man of faith, I think, uh, you know, my commitment to Jesus Christ, I, I wanted to raise my children. And for me, raising them, meant at that time that I didn't want them in a school. It was when uh, a lot of the same-sex marriage stuff was being debated. My Mm -hmm. children are 15, 14, and 10. So if you roll it back 10 years, when my oldest was going into elementary, I I wasn't ready for him to have that conversation or for that to be normalized. Mm -hmm. And so I chose with my wife to make the sacrifice. So my wife stayed home. She left uh, a career in banking and you know they say, They say, uh, yeah, it costs $330,000 to raise a child now. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, right. We're we're into this 150 a year just on her salary alone, right? Right. So we give up that salary. Now, every family can't do that. But we were willing to give that up so that we can have the opportunity to say this child is going to be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But I'll add to that, that fathers are unique in that we have the opportunity to have a vision for our children. Mm. And that vision we have for our children informs everything we do from discipline to preparation to schooling. And my vision for my children is that they would be God-fearing successful adults, that they would honor God.
1: Mm.
0: That being the vision kind of led the way in making a decision for homeschooling.
1: Well, Then what would you say to people who keep their children in a public school because they want them to bring home these sort of hard conversations that are, you know, so prevalent in the culture. And they want to be able to have those conversations with their children while they're still living under their roofs, while they're still living at home and not wait till they get to college and are exposed to all of this. So do you you think that's a valid approach that I I want my kids exposed to this now so I can, you know, correct them, etc? Or how, how would you respond to that um, I think
0: everybody has their own way, yeah. right? And 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 one thing is for certain, no one knows my children better or loves them more than me. Mm-hmm. Only God. Yeah. So I also believe that about the parents that have that position, right? Right. So they have a different strategy, but I believe they want the best for their children. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is the, the the flip side to that, my opinion, why I don't sort of espouse to that. I want that conversation to be dictated by me. Yeah. Right. I don't want my kid to experiment with drugs and then me to explain why they shouldn't have done that.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: You get it? Yeah,
1: oh no, totally.
0: So, I I choose a different way to do it. But I have an aunt and her daughter is phenomenal. They were older when they had a miracle to have the baby. Oh. And uh so she stayed at work until her daughter went to school.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, a lot of people didn't agree with her. She's yeah. like, "No, no, no. Anyone can give my daughter a buy, a bottle." Right. But I want to be there when she goes to school Mm -hmm. because I want to have the conversation. I want to deliver her from the perils of catching the bus in the morning or in the afternoon. So she took her daughter to school and she picked her daughter up every day Mm -hmm. all the way through high school. And during that time, they had the best conversations about some of the things that happened in school and everything else. So she helped her daughter process things that way. And now my cousin is amazing. She graduated uh, she's a nurse practitioner, and she is living life, yeah. getting ready to get married, right. and that worked for her. So I can't say that my way is going to fit everybody, but definitely be intentional about what you do.
1: Well, what would you say then to parents who are listening to this podcast now, and they're thinking, you know, I I like what he has to say about homeschooling. What guidance or advice? Would you give to someone who's discerning that, whether or not to do that for their children, um, or maybe just starting out in homeschooling? What is it that like you know about it now that you didn't know then? You know, that you wish you would have known about homeschooling?
0: Listen, it's expensive. So you're gonna buy the curriculum. The right. curriculum's gonna be a couple thousand a year. Okay. Okay. Uh, which is less than a private school. Right. Some curriculum is even less than that. Our curriculum is a couple of thousand a year. Uh, but it's expensive because now I have these my, my boys are horses mm-hmm. and what they do is graze all day. Yeah. If they were at school, they would go to lunch and then they would eat when they get home. Right. No, but when they're home all day, the AC right. is burning, right. they're eating all day. I mean, my sons, I think that we, we clocked them one day. I think they get something to eat every 27 minutes. <laughs> every 27 minutes, they walk in the kitchen and they get something. So it's expensive. Uh, but what I would say, in addition to that, I was concerned that they wouldn't be socially ready.
1: I think that's probably the greatest concern of yeah. most parents is that they'll be socially awkward. They won't have uh, the ability to play a sport if they're good at a sport and they yeah. won't have the extracurriculars. Um, but what? How do you respond to that?
0: Oh, well, number one, the children can play sports. So there's homeschool leagues. And in most states, homeschoolers legally can participate in other things. Not to mention now, nowadays, the only sport that's really captive to The school system is football. Everybody's Mm -hmm. doing travel basketball, travel baseball, there's track clubs. So the only thing really captive is tackle football, and we don't know how long that's going to be captive. Mm -hmm. So that's not really a great concern. Uh, The second thing is I am a public school baby. Mm -hmm. And when I was in school, I think we can all agree that we knew some kids who were socially awkward right? Right.
1: Sure. Oh, sure. That, that, that's a universal phenomenon. Yes. I think. Yes.
0: So sending your kid to public school is not going to remedy that, apparently. Mm-hmm. Then when you meet their parents, you know exactly why they're so weird,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: wow. so yeah, right. I mean, yeah. it's true. Yeah. So if you're social, if you're involved in your church, if you have family around, they're going to get all the socializing they need. They're going to be on sports teams or direct rec league. Right. The only thing they don't get is distracted education. With a teacher who is practically not permitted to discipline right. the children there, so the day half the day is lost to discipline, yeah. right? Uh, that's the only thing they're going to miss out on. Other than that, I mean, it works.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, and two, I think you, you, particularly for girls at a certain age, I think you're removing them from a lot of this social pressure and social bullying. Oh and yes, ostracization. That you know, I think no one can really be meaner than a mean fourth grade girl. You know, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah,
0: we it's, see it. At, we see it in with my daughter when she played soccer and does swimming. Right. I mean, so not going to school didn't protect her from that. And we still had to talk her through that. And, mm-hmm. you know, but she does have big brothers, so they rough yes, up a little bit. Yes, that's helpful.
1: Yes. It's, um, well, when our team met with you previously, you said something um, that really kind of resonated with us, but we'd like you to expand upon it a little yes. bit. You said that the only thing we negatively shelter is our children. Yeah. Can you explain what you mean by that? It's a fascinating statement.
0: Oh, listen, I am. I am not a helicopter parent. I am the absolute fortress mm-hmm. of parents, right? So when we talk about shelter, if you make a lot of money, you look for a tax shelter. Right. If you have an expensive car, you want to shelter it with a garage or at least a cover. Um, if it's raining, you look for shelter. If, you, if there's gunshots, you look for shelter. Right. The only time the word shelter is used in a negative sense is when we shelter our children. Except we shelter things we value. Mm -hmm. And there is little that I value more than my children. So why wouldn't they be sheltered? Why wouldn't your children be absolutely sheltered? And then you get parents on the peripherals trying to pressure you into these things. So Mm -hmm. I have, so, you know, you you always get the story that the the little girl who was sheltered all of a sudden goes to college and goes crazy. So what, you think it would have been better to let her go crazy three years earlier? Right.
1: Yeah, it has I a mean, very negative connotation, yeah. but I see what you're saying now. Like, you yeah. own a Maserati, you're going to make sure that it's in a shelter that's protecting it and keeping it safe. And, yeah. And, and it's and, always
0: Satan saying, and leave your children here.
1: Right. Um, well, I'd like to go a little into your personal story now. So, in uh, 2022, mm-hmm. you ran for state office in North Carolina. Yes. Unfortunately, you lost by a ridiculously narrow small, margin. Small, How many small. votes? Like,
0: uh, it was a 315-vote spread, so just that's, over 600 votes.
1: That's crazy. So it, uh, did, you, did you always want to run for office? No. Did you have political aspirations? No. But, okay, then what, what was the moment when you said, okay, I'm going to run for office? Tell us a little bit about that experience.
0: Well, there was a couple of moments. Uh, the first thing was actually my parents. Mm-hmm. So my mom and dad left North Carolina, and they moved to South Carolina because as 100% disabled veterans, they had, uh, they would get no property taxes on their primary residence. Well, in North Carolina, they do get taxed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Additionally, their social security disability benefits were taxed. So they left the state and when they did, they went from being 20 minutes from my house to, 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 to an hour and 20 minutes away. And I was like, oh snap, government policy just broke up my family. Mm-hmm. You know, cause now the grandkids, you can't just drop in on grandma and mm-hmm. grandpa, right? So that was the first time I was like, "Wow, you know what? This policy stuff matters." Okay. And then, as my children got older, uh, my like I said, my oldest son is now 15. You know, I've created this world for them. Mm-hmm. I am that fortress parent, right. right? No screens, all of that stuff, and now slowly watching movies and TV shows and everything else. But I realized that they're not going to live in this world that I made them. Mm-hmm. they're going to go live in the rest of the world where I live.
1: Right.
0: And that's when I, I began to be eh, a little more interested. But the moment, I I really can't explain it. I'm My wife and I hadn't discussed it. It was the Friday after Thanksgiving in 2021. And I woke up and I said to my wife, I said, I think I'm supposed to run for office.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I just, you just, you just feel it. Right. And she was like, "Okay, well, let's pray." And and so we prayed and fasted and spoke to the wisest people we knew,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that was the conclusion.
1: And would you ever consider running for something again? I mean, you you had such a narrow loss, so obviously your candidacy yes. resonated with people. Oh, my, not quite enough people. Not but quite enough, enough, but but Just enough me. that you came really yes. with it. Talk about coming within striking distance.
0: Well, you know, I'm about eighty five percent no. Uh one of the reasons is, you know, I felt like I was supposed I don't feel like I have to be in office. Mm-hmm. You know, even then I felt like I was supposed to run. And when I think about running again, I really I will probably have to have the same kind of moment where I feel like God is impacting my heart.
1: You know, I know that you when you were running for office, you were going around door to door, you were meeting all sorts yes. of people. What did you draw from that experience? I mean, do you think that the United States is still the great melting pot, or are we now so polarized with our differences that we're, we don't have that melting pot you know, capacity anymore?
0: I think the battle of good and evil, light and dark, is always going to find its way into the room, okay. whether you're talking about athletics or politics, right? And what I discovered is about 90% of the people are like me. Mm-hmm. We're just ordinary everyday people. Right. I like to say I am extraordinary, okay. right? Uh, about 7% of the people I meet, they are unique. I mean, they're unique, they're uniquely gifted in some way. They're intelligent, they have a heart of gold, or they're able to do something that others can't. Now there's about 3% of the people who are uniquely wicked.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they're the ones that cause the polarization. Right. They're the ones that, you know, here we are, Christians. For instance, North Carolina, 77% of the state says they're Christian. Mm. Obviously, we know that's probably, less likely not true.
1: Right.
0: However, 77%. But there's this, this idea, the polarization is, is, is not between uh, just, hey, man, I don't like anything you have to say. That's not the polarization. Mm-hmm. It's the difference between theory and application. Okay. I'm more on the application side. So in theory, you tell me, hey, no child should be abused or bullied at school. And you have my 100 percent support in theory. But then you say, in order for this child not to feel bullied, this young boy needs to go into the locker room with your daughter. And now what happens, the application of this theory is not working. Right. And I believe most of society is right here on the application if someone will have the conversation with them. Right. We need to protect him. Or her. Right. But not at the expense of my children.
1: Right. Well, I, at the expense of their privacy and their dignity and well, let's just, their let's ability just, to compete fairly in sports. There's yes. A whole lit- litany of things. You and know? I think
0: we just make it selfish. Right. Get out of the theoretical realm. What do you want? So yeah. uh, when I meet people, I say, hey, what do you really want for your child? Mm-hmm. Forget the theory for a second. How do you feel about this if it happened to your daughter or to your son? Right. Everybody agrees at that point. Right. Everybody agrees. Hey, Mr. Liberal, uh, how do you? How would you feel if you found out your kid was on hormone blockers for two years, and the school hid it and never told you?
1: And was being called a different name. And was being
0: right? called a different name. Yeah. Oh, now the theory doesn't work for right. you anymore, right? Right.
1: You like it. You like it for somebody else's child. Yes. Yeah, but not so not so much for your child. So. Well, listen, to wrap up this great conversation, Brian, I'd like to do a little lightning round here with you. So okay. we're going to do a rapid fire try. Q- Q&A segment. Yes. So I'll give you some buzzwords or phrases. Okay. And you give me your quick hot take on it. So a few words or 15 seconds or less. Okay. Right? You ready? Yes. All right. The Black Lives Matter organization.
0: Terrible. Marxists.
1: Okay. Slavery.
0: Terrible and history. Okay. Well, history in America. There's right. still some on earth. Right. True. Yes.
1: Uh, reparations. Nah, I don't qualify anyway. Okay, you why, know why wouldn't you qualify?
0: Because my my family was in British slavery in the Bahamas.
1: I see. Okay. Yeah,
0: so, so I wouldn't have been. And this
1: is I, well, that's that's helpful. I didn't know that. So reparations is really only directed towards yes. people who were um, subjects to American slave populations that sort of thing.
0: Yes, okay. it's ridiculous though. I mean, you're going to have people pay for atrocities they didn't commit to people who were not victims. I mean, it's just ridiculous.
1: Diversity, equity and inclusion, DEI.
0: I think you should say diversity, inclusion and equity, die. (laughs) Everywhere it goes, just bad things happen.
1: Systemic racism.
0: I don't think that exists.
1: Critical race theory.
0: Terrible, it's a big lie.
1: Okay. Public schools.
0: I like them, we need them.
1: Okay. Uh, Fatherhood.
0: Utmost importance. It's, It's gonna determine what happens to our society.
1: Well, Brian Echeverria, it has been a delight sitting down and speaking with you today. Thank you so much for being part of our Edify podcast. And um, we're thrilled to see what you're going to be doing in the future. Whether you run for office or not, we're going to be keeping to follow you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To make it easier for you to listen to future Edify podcast episodes, please make sure you subscribe over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you.